What's up, y'all? We're here with our first official ever Chefs Without Restaurant podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chris. And we're here to we're here to talk about Chefs Without Restaurants and ourselves so you can get to know us on this first official episode. Super excited for this. Um, we're going to get into some of the questions that we're going to be asking guests, but I think for this first episode... Andrew and I are just going to kind of keep it kind of light and uh, riff and uh, maybe interview each other a little bit so we can let you guys get to know who's who and what's what. Yeah, you guys can really get into our souls and learn us. So I guess let's kind of jump in. Do you want to talk to interview, kind of interview each other? Yeah, let's do this. So uh, we're, we're going to start out every episode with the guest intro. Y'all welcome and updates rather, and then we'll do a little guest intro where we're gonna, you know, basically just introduce the guest. Um, so, why don't you start and introduce yourself? So my name's Chris Spear. I'm the chef and owner of Perfect Little Bites, a personal chef business based out of Frederick, Maryland, which is in the D.C. metro region. Um, I started this kind of as a side hustle about ten years ago, and as of last week, I've been doing this for three years now. Um, and then I guess it's been about two years I've been, um, involved with this chefs without restaurants project that I started, which I thought was going to be like five people that I knew personally, and we're going to have a little crew, um, of people to help support each other and have resources and stuff. And to my surprise, it kind of blew up. And I think if you're looking at all the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, everything, we're probably hovering around a thousand people. Um, between both chefs and uh, customer followers and stuff. And, uh, and Andrew was one of those people who I connected with rather early on in the process. So uh, what about I you? I'd be like halfway through at this point. I joined the, the group like almost a year ago. Well, I think I was uh, – the first time I met you, I was doing the food for the Frederick Wine Festival. Um, and And that's when I got to know you kind of. You hadn't really been a member of the group, but uh, you showed up and helped save the day by providing uh, pizza for the wine fest. Yeah. Um, so I guess i'll I'll take this opportunity to introduce myself. My name's Andrew Wilkinson. Uh, I'm the owner of Pizza Llama, also here in Frederick, Maryland. We've been in business for um, about four years now, or we're in our fourth year of business, I should say. Um, we're a mobile wood-fired pizza operation and caterer, and we just recently launched our uh, food truck to help us with, uh, you know, some some more steady, regular business and and help us with the seasonality of the business. Um, <clears throat> like we said, I've been a member of the restaurant or Chefs Without Restaurants community for for almost a year. Um, and I, for me, it's been pretty, pretty awesome and helpful. I'm hoping that this podcast can help us grow the, the following a bit and help people out as well. Yeah. And one of the things that I really love about it is, uh, you know, we have a pretty active Facebook group. Uh, and one of the resources that I take advantage of is finding people to help with gigs. So I have no employees on a regular basis. Um, especially now coming into the holiday season, I'm doing some bigger events and need extra set of hands. And Andrew has helped me out, I think three times now, just in the past couple of weeks doing events. You know, it's great to have someone who's a solid chef who can come and just hang out with you and, and help you cook. 
for a day and then the next day he goes off and does his own thing or um, he actually can leave his truck with some of his other talented cooks and he can come help me with a gig. So being able to uh, help with each other's jobs, I think, has been one of my favorite parts of this thing. Yeah, it's been super fun and refreshing for me too to like get out of the, the uh, I mean, making pizza in a mobile in the mobile <laughs> in, the, in the truck in the truck and, and the mobile operation <clears throat> is like not mundane or like there's not really a day to day anyway but just um, getting out and being able to do like new stuff and like learning how you work and, and maybe cooking dishes that I've never cooked before and dealing with a different type of clientele has been really cool and, and kind of inspiring for me so and now I just need to get on the pizza truck and start slinging some pizza yeah anytime can come and stretch some doughs, top some pizzas, and burn them in my oven. Wood the, fired. The burnt crust is the best part. I think so too. I have to tell people that when they look like occasionally you, you get a, a well done pizza. We don't really serve like burnt pizzas, but sometimes you have like a side that's a little burnt, well done. No burnt pizzas. People are like, uh, they give me this, like, this look, and I'm like, that's the that's flavor. Okay. They really complain I'm, I'm making a new pizza, but uh, you know, no problem. I try to get people to like embrace a little bit of char. Yeah, that's the only part my son wants. Like the first thing he does is grabs the pie and starts popping those uh, crispy blistered parts off and eating them, and he could care less about the rest of the pizza. I'm always trying to like figure out how much char. <laughs> like if I think we burnt a pizza, I might keep it for us, and then be like, how how much is too much? It's like the burnt ends on barbecue, right? Like that's also the best part. Like a nice brisket, you get those burnt ends, like. Yeah. Your royalty if they save you the burnt ends. I think a critical part of a burnt pizza that can still be consumable and delicious is that you have to have like a certain level of like creaminess and not burntness within the cheese. So the cheese has to still be like creamy and and uh, maybe oil like have some oil dripping down the crust like and I think uh, uh, like a, a nice salt level is really important because that charcoaly like that carbon is just kind of like cancels out <laughs> yeah flavor, and know? now i want some pizza and you didn't bring any today well you can catch us tomorrow we'll be right down the street so what i want to get into next is a question that i'm kind of excited to ask people and it's like an open-ended question um it's basically what are you currently cooking and this goes for you know at home what do you enjoy cooking at work what are you cooking like you know what's a new recipe on your menu or it can be in life, like what do you or in life or business? What are you cooking up? Like what's cooking? What yeah. do you got cooking right now? What do I got cooking right now? Well, super seasonal stuff, very fall wintry. Um, actually, tonight I'm making a celery root uh, scordalia, which is normally it's uh, potatoes that are boiled and then pureed up with some garlic oil, uh, a lot of lemon. Um, it's really nice. So I'm doing that with um, celery root tonight at a customer's house. And then I'm going to be doing some scallops on top of that, some bacon and some herb oil. Um, but, you know, I don't have set menus. So every day my menu is different and I kind of cook a combination of what a customer has told me they like and then some things that I like. Um, so that's one of those dishes people don't necessarily order when they see it on a menu because they have no idea what it is. Scordalia. I think it's uh, Scandinavian, right? Um, and, oh, man, does it have... It has some kind of nut in it traditionally. I think I've been using Marcona almonds. So I just uh, 
peel and boil some celery root and salted water and then take it out, strain it, and then put it in the food processor uh, with some garlic oil I've made and a lot of fresh lemon juice, some salt and pepper. And that's a really nice base for a lot of things. But I like, uh, oh, and the toasted uh, Marcona almonds. Uh, and once it's pureed, I'm going to just sear some scallops and put them on top. That's what that's I'm currently going to be cooking today. Um, as I've said on other podcasts, I love Mexican food. I'm super obsessed with it. Um, making all kinds of salsas, making homemade tortillas. Um, what are you cooking? So uh, I'll say that my favorite thing to cook at home is fried rice, hands down. Interesting. And, and breakfast. I wasn't expecting that. Using so many random different things that you wouldn't expect. Or all the things that you would expect. Leftover fried pizza rice. toppings? Uh, maybe. I think I've had cheese and fried rice before. It's definitely weird and I wouldn't do it again. So anyway, <laughs> that's what I'm cooking in the house for my family uh, at work. Um, I'm working on expanding this food truck menu. And it's kind of been stumping me, to be honest. Um, but I'm, I'm about to make a, your typical pumpkin soup later today with a friend and probably future guest, Thomas O'Hara. Ooh, exciting. Uh, so we're going to be making some some soup today. I'm making squash soup tonight, too. It's pretty, I got a kabocha squash on my brain. He said pumpkin. Maybe he'll bring a pumpkin, too. I don't know. We'll see. So that's what I'm going to cook today. Uh, I guess I can sneak peek you into the menu. We're definitely looking at expanding pizza options. I'm, I'm working on a square pie recipe right now, sort of similar to a Detroit style, but I'm, I, I'm not trying to like adhere to any type of already existing style ever. So... It's a square. And then, you know, cooking right now for me is this podcast. I'm trying to get this thing cooking. I think it's going to be really fun and, and a neat opportunity for us going forward. Yeah, that's definitely cooking for me. I mean, um, you know, I'm trying to balance uh, marketing my own business, Perfect Little Bites, and doing a lot there. But this um, Chefs About Restaurants project is taking a lot of time in a good way. Um, and I'm going to be doing a lot of promoting of that, especially with the podcast. All right. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, our introduction into food, whether it be, or maybe just like keep it brief, but you know, like obviously we're both pretty passionate about food. So like, when was the first time you were like, wow, food's awesome to cook, maybe not just eat, uh, in your life? Like, what was your first introduction to a food industry job? And we'll just go from there. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely a little fat kid. Um, I love to eat. Um, but I'm, I've said this before, you know, I'm really thankful my mom stayed home with me until I went into middle school. So that meant we had a dinner on the table every night. You know, I grew up in the eighties when, um, a lot of families had both parents working. There was a lot of fast food, a lot of microwave foods, and you know we didn't really have that. So every Saturday, my mom made a grocery list, um, and I had to go grocery shopping with her, and we bought a lot of stuff that was on sale, and then we just make recipes based on that. My dad worked at Sears in retail, so he had a lot of nights and a lot of weekends he was working. So a lot of times it was just my mom and myself. So I spent time hanging out with her in the kitchen, and it wasn't always fancy. It was you know, hamburger helper, sometimes things like that. But, you know, we had a, a home cooked meal on the table every night and I love to eat. So, you know, I started taking cooking classes in, in middle school um, and then in high school. 
My first job was working at Burger King, uh, as Dane Cook calls it, the BK Lounge. Um, but I think I think fast food is super awesome, uh, and it's you know anyone who's worked in fast food, I have a respect for them because you learn customer service, you learn speed, you learn a lot of things, and I would never look down on anyone who worked in fast food. How about you and food? Uh, like you, I was a little chubby kid. Um, and sort of similarly, always had, you know, a nice home-cooked meal on the table coming home. And then, um, but I would say that, like, honestly, like, my mom's cooking now is way better than it used to be, I think. She's definitely, like, evolved as a cook. And uh, not that she was bad before, but it was just kind of, like, your typical, like, suburban meal like there was nothing sp- i mean she's a pretty good cook but i don't know yeah you know, i always got like nice little treats like every now and then she'd make shrimp and grits and that that's like one of my favorite home cooked meals i never had any fancy food like that really i mean we would do steak but yeah and then i like have a, a, a super love for breakfast my i was fortunate enough to have my dad home every weekend and like either on saturday or sunday it'd be like french toast pancakes waffles like one of those in the rotation and he he might be better at some than others but it was always just a nice thing like and it wasn't like oh just like uh everybody sit down and eat it was like it'd be like three hours the whole morning he's just like cooking cooking pancakes or waffles and like you come down like i would wake up maybe at 10 some mornings and so he would have already ate but he'll be like here you go like you want a waffle boom like it's like ready to go the whole morning. It's almost like our kitchen was like a little breakfast diner. Like, so is breakfast as jam? Because I, I think this is funny. My dad, all he could cook or or wanted to cook was breakfast. Like we did breakfast for dinner a lot when he was cooking, but he didn't really cook anything else. So like, was your dad just a breakfast guy? Mm, I would say that's what he did best. He's not just a breakfast guy, but that's definitely what he was doing best. <laughs> when, and when people talk to me about like my love for cooking, um, a little backstory. My mom had a disc removed. She had disc surgery. And I don't know, I want to say I'm like 12 years old. So she was in bed literally for, I think about three months. Um, so for that time, I actually took over cooking all the dinners for the family. Uh, because, uh, I want to say 12, wow. um, especially because my dad worked a lot of nights. I mean, there were days, I'd say half of the work week, three nights a week. My dad was at work, so if we were going to have dinner, I had to cook it. Um, oh, I don't know. Like I would tuna casserole. I would bake some pork chops. Um, we ate more hamburger helper, I think, in those three months than we ever did. That wasn't something we normally had, but I could cook up a pound of ground beef and add some of that stuff and do pretty well. And now I won't eat it, I think, because of that. Ours um, would be like home. Like, we would have it all week and have it for days. But it wasn't like the box came out. Maybe a couple times we had that. Well, that was my favorite dish. And one of the first things I learned to make, it, it was a recipe my mom called Greco. I have no idea why it's called that. But it was, you cooked up uh, ground beef with some peppers and onions. And then you added creamed corn, canned tomato sauce, canned mushrooms. It had to be canned. I've tried to make this with fresh and it's not the same. Uh, and then you put it in a casserole dish and topped it with cheddar cheese and baked it. And that's still one of my favorite things. And I've tried to make it fancy and sub out green peppers with poblanos and use like mantaki mushrooms. 
for me, the nostalgia, like it just doesn't connect. And I think nostalgia is a big part of food, right? Like if I, if I served anyone else that dish, they probably wouldn't think it was great. And I could make a very fancy version that I think would kill. But for me, it just doesn't feel like home, I guess, when I eat a fancy version. All right, so I have a story about nostalgia eating food that I wanted to ask. So first I'm going to answer the question, which was, uh, <clears throat> what was your introduction to food? And so I got, a, like, my, my little family background you got. So as I was growing up, like, middle school and high school, I always really loved, I think I had a pretty open, like, non-discriminatory palate. So I was always, like, super into trying other families, like, foods and, like, going to my friend's house and see what they cook and just, like, getting that experience. And I loved that. So I think that's where the, the first time, that's where I, like, like, really found that love for food in general. And then um, my first job experience was at Philly's Cheesesteak Factory here in Frederick. And I was a fry cook, but maybe like once a week I got to be on the pizza line. Actually, I, the fry cook a lot of times just cooked the pizza because we didn't sell that much pizza, but is that, I, I is, really enjoyed that. And they're, they're closed now, right? Yeah. It's Rose House now. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah I guess they were Rose open. House. Like I'm not from Frederick if you don't know much about me, but I've been here since 2007 and they were still here when I... Uh, when I moved here, but I forgot that used to be Roast House. A uh, big shout out to Roast House Pub, Chef Nico. Nico, if you're listening. Cool. We're going to have you on. We're going to have you on the show sometime, even though you do have a restaurant. Yeah, but you can still offer us something. Oh, yeah. So nostalgia and food. I'm going to make this quick, but maybe this will be helpful to some people. I don't know. Hopefully nobody hates me for this. But before I was in the food industry, I was in the illicit marijuana trade industry right so i ended up getting in trouble for that and i had to do a little time okay for all you listeners out there it wasn't you know i survived it wasn't that bad not prison county jail it's okay uh but anyway uh like i said before we had tuna casserole maybe like once a week when i was a kid and it's not like it's very good like it's it's casserole like casserole (laughs) kind of sucks most of the time but uh they also had that like once a month or maybe twice a month as a meal in jail. And it was equally or even more nasty than what we used to make at home. But I would like buy it from people with chips or, you know, whatever. Like I would trade people stuff. I didn't really, I don't drink milk like that. So I would trade my milks and you'd you'd be surprised how many people don't eat fruit in jail. I traded milk for like a week's worth of fruit from like five people. So I was like literally stocked. I lost like, probably 30 pounds in jail but anyway this is amazing back to the point uh you can't even fathom how good it made me feel to eat this shitty tuna casserole in jail because of nostalgia and it just made me feel like i wasn't for like two seconds every bite i took was like am i home (laughs) am i home yeah (laughs) i mean if everyone could if there's a way to tap into every single customer's nostalgia that would be a gold mine but we all have like these very different things like mm-hmm. i hate mcdonald's but chicken mcnuggets like my mom used to take me to mcdonald's after soccer practice and if i go into a mcdonald's there's like a smell about it and i feel like i'm seven years old and if i get a chicken mcnuggets with like some of that hot mustard i can almost be transported back to like marlboro mass um being seven years old just after soccer and yeah, I you know it's hard. I try and find a way to tap into the nostalgia of people I, I've never even met and cook them a meal that can resonate with them. I just want to put it out there that I'm free now. 
free pizza. I'm free pizza now, so you uh, don't ever give me tuna casserole because it's not going to work. It's not going to make me feel nostalgic. It only worked in one one setting. All right. Anyway, moving on. You're welcome for that little story. And um, we're going to move on to this next question and getting to know our guests, which is what was your career direction prior to and what was the breaking point for you to pursue your dream in food or, or whatever they're doing? The people that are in the room. Oh, wow. So you shared something really interesting. So I guess I'll share something really interesting that I've never talked about before. Yeah. I have never worked in a restaurant. I've been in the food world for 27 years. I mean, I guess if you consider good insight for I, chefs without restaurants. I think if you consider a Burger King a restaurant. But no, um, I went it to is. culinary school. I went to Johnson & Wales. I got a four-year bachelor's in culinary school. Um, I took on a lot of debt. So I came out of school having to pay $404 a month for 10 years. So think about that. And that was 20 something years ago and it's way more expensive now, but I came out with a lot of debt and, you know, you go to work in a restaurant and that was 1998, you know, restaurants wanted to pay me $8 an hour or something like that. And I ended up working in a retirement community because they were offering me $12 an hour and medical benefits and vacation and retirement and everything. So I started doing that. Plus, it was a better work environment. I had every other weekend off. I didn't have to do nights. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, things I would have done differently in hindsight. You know, maybe I should have gone work for some important chef or something, but whatever. So that kind of started me on that path. And then I moved to Seattle, Washington, and I really wanted to work in some of the best restaurants. And I did an interview with this guy. I think his name was... Um, James Kelly. I don't know. He had a place called the painted table. And at the time it was like the best restaurant in the country. And I did a phone interview with him and he shit on me. And like, he told me that he didn't think I had what it took to be a chef and work in a restaurant. And he said, like, if you get out here and you still think that you're up to this, come see me. And it kind of broke me a little bit. So I moved to Seattle and then maybe, and at least he followed up with like, if you think you're still up for it, after I shit on you, come on. He doesn't want any, any, like, you know, you come in his kitchen soft. He's an old school chef, probably. Yeah, definitely. And, and, his, and his restaurant went out of business. I don't, I don't really know what happened. I think he fell off the map. But so I got out to Seattle, and I ended up working in another retirement community. It was a Jewish-run uh, kosher kitchen retirement community. Um, so that just kind of set me on this path of not working in restaurants. And um, I've, I've since moved all over the country. I moved to um, Pennsylvania. I worked for Ikea. That'll be a whole nother story at some point, but I, I was running the food in, uh, at their home office in Conchalk in Pennsylvania. So I got to do some cool R and D stuff. We were doing things that, uh, we had never, um, that had never been done at other Ikeas across the country and things are rolling out. Uh, and then I moved to Frederick and once again, I got a job working for Sodexo in contract food. So I took over, um, a big retirement community in, um, here, uh, close to my house. And I was there for 10 years, actually. And I ended up having, we had four separate dining venues under me and we had a hundred plus employees in the food service department. Um, so, you know, I was doing that, but I kind of started to not like it after a while. Um, like it was an okay job with great benefits and stuff, but I wanted to do something else. So I started kind of thinking about how I could do my own restaurant without the cost 
and crazy overhead and all the stuff that comes with having a restaurant. And for me, that turned into the personal chef gig where I kind of bring the restaurant to you, where I could just um, show up to a different person's house every day, make the food that I want to make, give them a restaurant experience. You know, I'm bringing my own china and silverware and setting the table and I'm cooking the food fresh there for them. So it doesn't feel like it's, you know, a, a catered meal where they're having things served out of chafing dishes that were cooked hours ahead uh, in some kitchen, really kind of I wanted to replace um, the restaurant experience. So that's a little bit about how I got to where I am. Very cool. So you, you may not have had like direct restaurant experience with Ron Dowling, but you have extensive, extensive experience in the culinary world in kitchens in managing food service so yeah and i'd say that it's not too far off and we talked about this a little bit uh off mic before i think one of the benefits is is then you can kind of form your own path i think you see a lot of people doing things the same way because there's you know every cook chef who works in a restaurant there seems to be a way things are done but then nothing ever changes and everyone's still using the same model you know i didn't have a lot of mentors um and contract food a lot of times you're hired at the top and you have to jump right in so you know you go from you know you're uh, maybe a sous chef at one place and then you jump right into being the executive chef at the next place where you're still actually growing and learning and you have to kind of yeah you jump right into the operation and, and lead a team maybe when you don't have the experience to do so so you you know figure out your own way in your own style so so keep it a little brief because The breaking point was that I was given a raise in name only um, and that I did that for the last six years that I was there and people would tell me I'm stupid, but I took a promotion, was promised a raise. It never came. And every year it was the carrot that was dangled in front of my face of like, oh, well, if you get this on your review, you'll get your raise. And then I would do it and they'd say, well, oh, well, sorry, but like, we don't have the money, but do this and you'll get it next year. And that went on and on combined with the fact that I had some terrible employees I was managing and I was having anxiety at work. I'm getting anxiety talking about this. Like I had a subordinate who, uh, you know, she would do things like tell the other employees that she thought I was having an affair, like totally ungrounded just to create drama. And I'm not about the drama, but I was getting physically sick, like having a lot of medical conditions. And in hindsight, it was 100% stress. And once I realized that, I was like, I need to get out of this toxic environment and stop being around toxic people. And I would rather go make less money working for myself than to work for people who don't respect me, don't pay me what they've promised me, and working for people who are trying to make my life miserable. Yeah. Good answer. Uh, stress can do a lot of things, including make you start to go bald at 23. <laughs> so how did you start Pizza Llama? So, uh, well, my first, my career direction, obviously I said this before, was not even in food. It was in some uh, it was in the industry of hemp uh, before there was one really legal here in America. Okay, so anyway, uh, and then, you know, I so I got out, um, <clears throat> oh no, real quick, you know, I already realized I love food, and even the, even the whole time I was selling weed, I, I love food, and I wanted to get restaurant jobs, but I, like, wasn't desperate because I was making a lot of money, so I was never, like, pursuing these jobs, but I went to apply and interviewed at, like, a lot of kitchens, um, including, I don't know, what's it, what did the Le Parc used to be? Uh, well, for a while, for a while it was Mix, but. I think it might've been Mix. I played at Mix and the guy was like, how's your nice skills? I was like, um, they're okay, but I can get better. James, <laughs> James is literally guy. like one of my Short favorite chefs. Guy. 
Um, he seemed really cool. He just was like, you know. I'll show you a picture later. Okay, uh, so but if it was James, he's my favorite Frederick chef ever. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, like I, I never got a food job anyway. Um, got locked up. Um, kind of like bullied, not bullied, but I just like was persistent. Got my way into the kitchen as a job. Um, that's not that hard to do, but you're washing dishes. And then I was really persistent. I was like, let me cook, let me cook, let me cook. So finally, other people who didn't care were just like, let them cook. I'll, I'll step down and wash dishes. Like, just let them cook. <laughs> so I did, and I did that for like six months. Um, and, you know, cooking for like four or 500 people, uh, it's weird to say, but I like, I really enjoyed myself doing that. Like, I mean, it, and it also gives you something to do when you're otherwise just like bored and depressed. Uh, so anyway, that was kind of my introduction really, really into like cooking for people for money even though i wasn't getting paid that's a yeah i mean you gotta you gotta <laughs> got do something days. right i got good days that's what you call it uh, okay so anyway and then um my production when i came out first job i was in like the back of a warehouse for like a couple months and then they opened up a new black hog uh, which is a barbecue spot in frederick uh they were opening a new black hog right next to this place that i was working which i won't name because they're a huge brand um <laughs> And I applied there and I got the job to be a smoker, got up six days a week, was at work 5.30 in the morning, smoking meat. I didn't even eat that much meat, but um, making sauces, like I had a lot of responsibility. I super enjoyed it. And coming out of the situation I was in, it was like, it was really nice to get responsibility and feel like I was like stepping up you know like i had a lot of like motivational factors other than that too so i was also working at a tree nursery um because that was kind of part-time being a smoker i wouldn't cut my beard so they wouldn't give me any four hours so like as soon as they opened i basically had to leave <laughs> that's amazing and i didn't know any of this this is great you know i've known you for uh, over a year and i had no idea you worked at Black Hog. yeah for over a year it was pretty cool. I actually really enjoyed it. And contrary to like what some people say, if you work hard and aren't like a punk, uh, Mike will treat you pretty well. Good, good to know. He's an asshole to me sometimes, but it's like I can take that. So, I mean, I yeah, that that happens a lot. I mean, hopefully the days that you're not an asshole uh, outnumber the days that you are. Right? Yeah, I definitely took some good good uh, like pointers, maybe life skills from him business i don't know uh but anyway so black hog and then um and then i was like screw this i'm moving to baltimore i already knew i was going to open a pizza operation because i was um we were throwing shows and i was making pizza for these shows we were giving away free pizza so that just kind of i caught the bug and I, I wanted to make better pizza so i was already planning sort of what i wanted to do with that so i left frederick went down to baltimore was working at uh, an independent movie theater down there as a manager, and that was a really cool experience. Definitely not in food, but um, there was a cool little restaurant next door, so I was kind of like in proximity, like watching them all the time and, and doing my little manager thing. Um, continuing to make pizza at these shows, which were all in Baltimore. And then, and this is where I met my future wife uh, and partner. Um, and then I took a job that paid a little better and treated me a little better. Uh, maybe, maybe not in the long run, but it's seemingly so. Uh, installing solar on roofs. 
And at this point, I had already started my business. Most of my business was in Frederick because this is where I'm from. Um, so it just made more sense. And we also had a baby. So it was like, okay, get a job in Frederick, do your business in Frederick, move your family back to Frederick. So this is it. Uh, and I had already started my business. And the breaking point was me really just getting tired of like this mundane, like I had moved from installing solar to managing the warehouse and loading up all the jobs and ordering all the equipment and supplies and like have millions maybe like in a month, like millions of dollars worth of stuff going through my hands and like, they are just kind of being stingy and weird about it. I don't know. I just got tired of it. I need solar. I need, sick, I'm thinking so about getting solar panels on my house. Can you help me out? No, I'm over it. I can, I can hook you up with it, with the right people though. Uh, but yeah, so I, the, that point was just me. I was like burnt out and tired of shit. I was, I was working solar in the day and then like, they were kind of flexible with me. So I would leave on the days that I had events and like, you know, stay up late and make dough days before. And I was just getting burned out and thought that I was ready to leave, even though I probably should have waited a little longer. So that's it. Maybe that was uneventful, but you have my story. That was my breaking point and my career path prior to my breaking point. Um, so we'll get into it. The next... The next question we're going to ask all our guests as an intro is, uh, because this is Chefs Without Restaurants, is do you or did you ever have restaurant dreams, owning or just, you know, running? Yeah, when I was younger, and by younger, I guess I mean uh, culinary school, I think most people who go to culinary school think they're going to open a restaurant, right? And a lot of your classes are based around that. So um, I was inspired by Emerald, right? Like I went to culinary school in 94, Emerald is a chef from Massachusetts, which is where I'm from. Uh, he went to Johnson Wales, which is where I went. And I really got into Creole Cajun cooking. So when I got in as a freshman, like that's what I thought I was going to do was open a Cajun restaurant. So when we had to design a restaurant, it was a Cajun restaurant. When we had to do a menu, it was a Cajun menu. This is awesome. And I did that for a couple um, years, I guess, when I was in school. And I got super into it. In fact, even when I was a senior four years later and we had to do an internship, I applied to do my internship uh, at NOLA with um, Emerald, and I got through the interview process, and they offered me a job, but by job, I mean free internship without lodging, and I would have had to go down there and work for free and have to pay for housing for three months, and that wasn't an option for me, so. Super whack. This is really funny, though. Like, I'm learning things. We're probably learning things about each other that we never even knew before. Of course, we've only known each other for maybe a little over a year, but. Uh, no desire to own a restaurant ever, which is no, not at all. Like I don't have the money for that. And I don't really want to take on investors. And I'm sure this is going to be an interesting conversation somewhere down the line. Uh, If you're listening and you're an investor and you have a lot of money, I might uh, reconsider that. But uh, no, like I don't want to go open a brick and mortar uh, place downtown. For me, it's uh, I I'm kind of ADD and I like to change my menu all the time. So I could never open like just a pizza shop where it was just pizza. Um, Yeah. That'd be a cool thing. And you can, uh, it's happening. It usually happens more so with people who have restaurants. It seems like, but um, or like a, there's a lot of joints or whatever. I think there's a lot of legalities and challenges of supper clubs, which is like a whole separate. Well, episode, I mean, if you right? if you open it like a restaurant, but then only run it like a supper club, you know, maybe a couple days a week or once a week. But yeah. Then you have huge costs for nothing. But and people gonna, don't people don't like that. Like I love the idea. I was going to open a place uh, and maybe call it like staff meal or something, where like if you're working in a restaurant, there's a staff meal every day. 
Uh, and it tends to be like really awesome food just kind of made from whatever you have hanging around. I thought it'd be cool to open a place and just kind of cook whatever I have on hand and make what I want. But I don't think people would come to that. I'm going to be open on Mondays <laughs> for all the industry workers. That need um, a staff meal. New pop-up. We're going to do it every Monday. It's going to be called Staff Meal. We're going to do a pop-up. That's actually a really tight idea. You need to do that at the uh, theater. Love it. Hear about this later. Love it. Uh, so anyway, my restaurant dreams. I I kind of like, before I even knew what the food industry really was, like by working in it, I was like, oh, restaurant. Kind of that like the dream probably the same as when you go to culinary school because you still don't know what it's like in culinary school you know so but I never went to culinary school actually in high school I took culinary classes and shout out to chef Charlie Zachman he's the shit he really inspired my whole like uh like I I don't know I guess in high school he kind of like kept me inspired in the food world and like I held that with me uh until now so yeah uh restaurant dreams for me (coughs) I, I just play with it all the time. Like, it's not like I wouldn't open a restaurant, but I'm not really thinking about it. Like Chris said, if there's an investor out there, like, I would definitely probably consider it. But I'm not trying to front any of those costs. You can take on all the costs, and uh, I'll definitely share the profits with you, but um, you're not going to control me, and I'm not going to pay for shit. Big plug for any investors out there looking to open a food business with us. Big plug. All right, so we're going we're gonna to move on from this soon. Uh, but real quick, we'll try to keep this to like a couple sentences each. All right. How did you find your, or no, rather, how did your niche find you and how did you translate that into a business? Yeah. So I was working at a catering company part-time after I got fired from a job. Um, and they only wanted to do big events, uh, but they'd have customers call and say, Hey, do you want to come cater our anniversary dinner for just the two of us? at our house and my bosses were not interested in doing that at all. And then finally they said, Hey, that would be good PR for us. Chris, do you want to go do this? Make some extra money. You can keep all the money, just represent our business. And I did that for a little bit. And I thought, wow, this is kind of a thing. Like maybe I could start a catering company cooking for like two to 20 people. Um, And that was outside Philadelphia. So when I moved to Frederick, you know, we had the good triangulation of uh, I could service the D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia markets, as well as Gettysburg, West Virginia. And just thought, yeah, this is the place to kind of start that super niche, um, small dinner kind of catering ish business. Though legally, I can't say I'm a caterer. I'm a personal chef. I'm a caterer. You can can, can personal. Yeah, you can cater through me. Okay, so anyway. Uh, my turn. How did your niche find you? How did that translate to a business? Um, like I mentioned before, I was throwing these shows, giving away free pizza with my friends. Um, for anybody out there who might know, it's Lamadon. Shouts to Lamadon and all my llamas. Uh, yeah. So it was like a multi-genre show and the glue to all these like different scenes. We were trying to bring together a bunch of different scenes to make like one music scene. And we were like, well, the glue is gonna be pizza because who the fuck doesn't like pizza, right? Um, And I was making that pizza. So like, that's kind of how my niche found me. I've always loved pizza, good pizza. There was not a lot of good pizza in our area that I could find or was like super satisfied with. And yeah, I just was like, I'm gonna do this and do it better. And that's how my niche found me because I am pizza. And, uh, and your free pizza. People don't know. Not only is he pizza llama, but he also goes by free pizza. Yeah, that's like my person. That's my persona. Not my. I got my business, and I got my persona. Free pizza because like I'm free now, and I gave away free pizza. That's how I started. So it's like, well, you know, 
free free pizza also could be like you know free. but he doesn't give out he doesn't give out free pizza at his food truck you have to pay for it but i will give you free pizza in terms of like free pizza mind free pizza advice free pizza wisdom free pizza go yourself sake i'm just kidding excuse me for all you youngins out there listening tell your mom i said sorry um, anyway, yeah, that translated into business for me because I was like, yo, I can make money off this and give the world better pizza. All right. So that was pretty fun. We're going to take a break now and we'll be back shortly, uh, to continue this podcast. Thank you. Cut that. Thank you. All right. We're back. And the next section that we'll be getting into, we're actually not even going to get into today. Because uh, for the sake of time, we're already at like 40 minutes and, you know, this one was more to get to know us. And I think the next section is, well, it's called the deep end. It's kind of like a deep dive, free free form, open-ended questions and discussion type forum where, you know, kind of might change depending on the guests we have. We have a lot of different things that we want to talk about and we're just kind of just going to wait until we get the right guest on to talk about those topics and just let it be natural and flow as far as um, our discussion goes. We want this to be of value and for people to learn something. So um, a lot of times we might just let our guests kind of like control that narrative uh, for this section. So I look forward to doing the deep end with a lot of people. We decided not to do it because of time and because you guys are going to hear us go on and on about all this shit with other guests anyway. So Sounds good. So what are we going to do now? So now we're going to break into the third and final part of our podcast in the long format. And it's sort of like a rapid fire round, but everybody is rapid fire. And I want to call it word vomit. Right on. So basically what it is, is, you know, we're just going to throw out a couple. We're we're throwing out basically questions and try to answer them in one word or, you know. Two words, maybe? No, maybe two words, three words, like a sentence. If you start, if you start going on, I'm gonna shut you up. Okay, and do the same for me. One word. Just try to answer it in one word. Vomit. One one vomit. Just if you have to take a breath, stop right there. This is word vomit. This isn't like think about it and breathe. Okay. All right. So how this is gonna work? Because both of us is I'm just gonna throw it out there. You're gonna answer, and then I'll I'll follow up with mine as fast as I okay. can. So, okay, word vomit. Ding, ding. We got to get some sound effects on here. Here we go. Favorite tool in the kitchen, Chris. What is it? Uh, microplane. I like spoons. <laughs> it's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> Ooh, Vitamix. <laughs> yeah, you can't change it. You like microplanes. I love microplanes, actually. Uh, I used lame cheese graters for a long time, and then my friend was like, get a microplane. I got it. I was like amazed. Uh, so anyway, next question. See, we already took too long. Uh, favorite food to eat? Tacos. Waffles. <laughs> and pizza. If you had the money, who's the first employee you would hire? Who? You. I don't know. Or maybe a better question is, if you had the money, what is the first employee you would hire? I would hire someone, an admin person. I would hire a chef. <laughs> so that I don't have to do all the cooking and working behind the scenes so yeah i would do the admin which i do <laughs> this isn't as rapid as i thought it would be all right favorite chef uh matt jennings 
I didn't even think about this one. Um, um, hold on, wait a second. My favorite chef. Fuck. I'm drawing a blank. Really, you asked the question and you didn't even know the answer. I didn't think about it. For your own work. I don't even think about chefs that much. Honestly. I don't know if this is my favorite, but I'm just going to shout out the first one that came to my head because I think he's pretty eccentric and awesome, and he's a pizza guy, too. His name's Chris Bianco. Cool cookbook. I've been, I've been to his place, like, way oh, back. They have? Yeah, like, way back in, like, 99. That's awesome. I just really like how he's, like, all about, like, awesome ingredients, fresh ingredients, local ingredients, and he makes great pizza, apparently. Never tried it. All right, moving on. Is your cooking art or science? Uh... Both, but I'm going to lean more towards art. Pizza's art. But dough is science. Favorite digital tool or resource for your work? Uh, anything marketing-wise, Instagram's awesome. I like Instagram, too. I think that's my favorite. Best marketing platform? So then I'll say Instagram, and I'll go back and say that Canva, I guess, would then be the best tool to get things done. Uh, okay, that's good. Yep, I use Canva, too. Um, probably not as much as I should, but I'm just going to go with Instagram for both because I'm a stupid millennial and I just spend all my time on Instagram consuming. So anyway, all right. Uh, next question. Favorite culinary resource? Besides Chefs Without Restaurants and the website Perfect Little Bites. You can, <laughs> you can use those if you want. Uh, the Serious Eats website, specifically the Food Lab section by Kenji. because seriously it's tight from what I've seen it, my favorite culinary resource uh, is pro it's not necessarily a culinary resource but it's like a food industry resource uh, it's another podcast called Chefs Without Restaurant shout out to Eric Kitsitori that's probably my favorite resource for like you know that if we get okay so this isn't word vomit I'm breaking my own rules but as far as like a culinary resource for me, because I'm a pizza guy, I think uh, Pizza Today is probably my favorite. Back up. I think you said your favorite resource was Chefs Without Restaurants. What's the name of that podcast again? Oh, Restaurant Unstoppable. You did not say that. See, it came right out. You said Chefs Without Restaurants. Yeah. Well, I mean, all right. So I have three answers for that, y'all. My, my favorite culinary resources in order are Chefs Without Restaurants, Restaurant Unstoppable podcast by Eric Cacciatore, and... Pizza Today magazine. Right on. All right. How do you decompress? Uh, watching movies that I love. Uh, and they're usually stuff that my wife doesn't like. So, like, I'll just watch a horror film at, like, 10 in the morning after everyone's left the house. All right. This is word vomit. That was too long. Movies. <laughs> All right. Good. Good answer. I go hiking with my daughter or by myself. I like to go for hikes. Um, and why don't you quit? Why don't you quit? I need income and I don't know what else I do and I love this. Pizza and Frederick sucks. I'm trying to be the best ever. I am the best ever, but I just got something to like that every minute. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, that's pretty much it. Um, we went through all of our sections, sort of. And I think this was a nice little conversation me and Chris had and a cool first podcast. I hope 
that you all enjoyed it. Maybe you took something from it or learned something. You at least learned a lot about us. We learned more about each other that we didn't know, which was really cool. And, um, you know, I, I can't wait to give you guys some some really cool guests on here and and, and get better at this whole podcasting thing. Um, maybe we'll stick with it when everybody else is like, well, podcasting is, is I'm over it because it's like a trend right now. It's definitely a trend. Yeah. So, at a, you know, share this with, with everyone. Uh, as of right now, we're already on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, um, tune in. Um, we should be on iHeartRadio soon. I'd love to hear where you guys are listening, but what, wherever it is, uh, reviews would be awesome. But telling everyone uh, about this podcast is what we'd really love. Tell all your food industry friends about the podcast. And yeah, give us a review. Or if you don't want to give a review, review it in the messages. Send us a message. Um, but definitely give us a review. I don't even care if it's a bad review. Just give us a one-star review. Don't on Yelp and give me a one-star review. <laughs> For a podcast that sucks. Don't give me a one-star review on Yelp. All right, yeah, I don't. I, I would prefer not. But I mean, it's whatever. I don't care. Anyway, uh, any? Let's drop our names. Uh, Chris Spear. And oh yeah, your Instagram handle. Oh yeah, so everywhere. Uh, if you were to Google Chefs Without Restaurants or Perfect Little Bites, so Instagram is Perfect Little Bites and Chefs Without Restaurants. Uh, we have Facebook public pages for both. Uh, Facebook.com/slash Perfect Little Bites or slash chefs without restaurants really quick plug. We have a chefs without restaurants group. So it's, um, facebook.com slash groups slash chefs without restaurants. Uh, you just need approval. I just want to know uh, why you want to join the group. And I usually approve everyone. Easy enough. Uh, you can find my business, just search pizza llama on Google or anything. And you'll see a little llama flame logo in red. And that's us. Pizza Llama, or at underscore Pizza Llama on Instagram. My personal is at free PZA, free pizza, PZA, all right? And that's me, Andrew. So I guess that's it. Any shout-outs you want to give? No, no, no. Oh, um, yeah, quick shout-out. I mean, uh, Sham, uh, my buddy who used to have a podcast here in Frederick, uh, gave us these really cool mics to use. So if you're listening, and I hope you're listening. Uh, thanks so much. These microphones, and he recommended using Audacity to do the recording. So uh, yeah, I have a lot of friends who are doing the podcast thing or have done the podcast thing, and they've been really great about getting us started. So yeah. and shout out to you, listeners! Everybody who's listening to this episode, you are you are the first ever. So shout out to you for listening to this podcast. Uh, we're really here to like hit you guys with some value. Um, we're both fans of the G. The GV, so (laughs) I didn't even have to. I didn't even have to mention that, but I just want to say, like, we're doing this to to give back something. So super excited! Uh, I think it's going to be a great show, and we will uh, talk to you soon. Peace, peace.